Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, we're talking PCOS, nutrition, and your lifestyle. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk today about a topic that science knows nothing about. <laughs> All right, Nicole, let's hit him with it. PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, also mm -hmm. sometimes referred to as polycystic ovarian disease. Yes. One in four women suffer Crazy. from PCOS. Yeah. What's 25% of 157 million? Are you asking me that question? Yeah. I don't know that off the top of my head. <laughs> it is That's a lot. Answer. I'm going to do it. Let's do it. 39.25 million women in the U.S. potentially are struggling with PCOS. Wow. That's a lot of people. And That's a big number. We need more research on this. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the first thing we should talk about other than what it is, is that we don't know very much about it or it isn't. What is it? Not. It's not well understood. The causes aren't well understood. And there's some mm -hmm. things thrown around that literally aren't even in the research. And yeah. you and I talked about this and had a disagreement about, <laughs> about some of the potential causes that practitioners will say that, you know, they believe from where it is. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Let's just kind of give a rundown of PCOS and what it is and what's going on hormonally in the body and what some of the symptoms are. The cause of PCOS is mostly unknown, mostly not well understood, and could be a combination of genetic factors. We do find that people who have a family history of PCOS, they're more mm -hmm. likely to have PCOS and potential environmental factors. Now, symptoms of PT PCOS, now for 25% of our female audience who probably suffer from PCOS, mm -hmm. abnormal menstruation. Mm -hmm. Which can go either way. Abnormal meaning they, they can be um, heavy menstruation, irregular, or light. Or non-existent. Or not at all, yeah. But think about that. You say abnormal. That could literally be a, a slew of all of the options. Which could also not be PCOS. Right. So, Which can also be you're stressed out, you don't sleep, and you eat like shit. Right. Now, typically, we associate women with PCOS as obesity or overweight or gaining weight, but there are women that are lean and have PCOS as well. So right. just saying, hey, somebody's overweight, they might have PCOS. That's not enough. Or, or somebody's not overweight, I should say, and, you know, presents with some of these symptoms. Yeah. Something that, you know, you may have. It doesn't have to be a weight gain thing. In most cases, it is. But in some cases, in, it's not. It's been presented more that way. And now over time, as we're finding out that there are more women that are lean that aren't overweight that are presenting with PCOS, we're learning more. That's not the only group of women that would present with it. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying that I, makes absolute, sense. Absolutely. <laughs> and when I when I was in college, it was just the when I was an undergrad, it was just, you know, women with PCOS are overweight and they. Right. They, they don't. They have trouble losing weight, which mm -hmm. is true. Uh, but now you know, fast forward, 
I don't know how many, almost 10 years later, you know, looking at this, we're seeing more instances of women that are not overweight and are very lean that also struggle with PCOS. Yeah. Now, fat distribution is a thing, too. So Mm -hmm. there's changes in fat distribution due to hormonal changes, which we'll get into in a moment. Acne or oily skin, Mm -hmm. infertility, depression, inappropriate male features, which also hormonal changes. We'll get into that as well. Loss of hair, Hair. loss of hair or unwanted hair in places where women typically don't grow hair. Now, hormonal changes. So let's talk about what's going on in the body and why some of these symptoms are occurring. So what's thought to happen is that due to a decrease in follicle stimulating hormone and an increase in luteinizing hormone, the follicles in the ovaries do not mature. Therefore, these follicles don't release an egg and ovarian cysts can form instead. Mm-hmm. Right. So essentially what's happening is when you look at the brain, the hypothalamus communicates with the pituitary gland and mm-hmm. tells it to release follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And then those get sent to the ovaries to tell it to release an egg. If you have a decrease in follicle-stimulating hormone and an increase in luteinizing hormone and those hormones are off, that signal or that communication to the ovaries is also going to be off. Also, due to the increase in luteinizing hormone, there's also typically an increase in insulin. So what's happening is you have luteinizing hormone is increased. And if your insulin is increased as well, this is typically going to be accompanied by an increase in testosterone, which is responsible for those secondary male sex characteristics, such as unwanted hair growth. Mm -hmm. So increased insulin can lead to increased testosterone and increased luteinizing hormone can lead to increased testosterone. So what's happening there is, you know, you've got these two hormones, insulin and luteinizing hormone, and you turn into a man. No, just kidding. <laughs> it just basically can, you know, in a nutshell, you're throwing off this ricochet of hormones in the female body that ultimately create a lack of ovulation. Yes. And that in lack nutshell, of ovulation. That lack of ovulation. Causes cyst formation. Right. And decrease progesterone and... At leading to estrogen dominance. You want to talk about that? Right. Well, because like we talk about in previous episodes, estrogen dominance is when your estrogen is higher than progesterone at a time when progesterone should be higher than estrogen. So like I said a minute ago that, you know, you think about hormones don't just happen in one format, right? Or one pathway. There's this whole cascade of things that occur from the brain to the body when they become off or out of balance, why we talk about hormones being out of balance, they create these types of issues. And when you don't ovulate due to your progesterone being too low in ratio to your estrogen, the estrogen becomes dominant in a time when it shouldn't be. And then this is what happens or something like this can happen. Yeah. So ideally you want a nice healthy balance between estrogen and progesterone in the time, in the different times of your cycle. One is higher in one phase and others higher in the other phase. Uh, but you end up being estrogen dominant because of all these hormonal things and changes that are going on inside of your body. Now, how PCOS is diagnosed? PCOS is diagnosed using something called the Rotterdam criteria. Mm-hmm. Now that is oligo or an ovulation. So you have too few periods or no periods at all. Then we go into elevated androgen levels, which elevated hormone levels and or and or 
abnormal hair, hair growth. So looking at testosterone levels and seeing where your testosterone is at, and then also an ultrasound to detect peripheral cysts on the ovaries. Yeah. Now, in order to be diagnosed with PCOS, you go to your doctor, you're experiencing some symptoms, your doctor just cues in and thinks, oh, may, maybe it's potentially PCOS. Let me run these tests. And you have to meet two of three of these criteria to have a diagnosis of PCOS. Mm-hmm. All right. So Nicole, you want to touch up on medical treatments for PCOS? Well, most of the time women are put on birth control pills to manage and reduce symptoms, which I find hilarious. And I'm going to just say that straight out because going on a birth control pill, as we talked about in previous episodes as well, can create more problems with your hormones. So when you have a, <laughs> when you start off not ovulating and you go on a pill to continue to not ovulate, while it may manage the symptoms, it clearly doesn't clearly does not fix the problem. Well, that's the conventional way, right? Yeah. Symptoms, all about mm-hmm. symptoms, uh, and not getting to the root of the of the issue. But right, it's hard to get to the root of the issue when you don't know the root of the issue. True. And but- I and I I'd say that you know women going into the doctor and they they just want to feel good. Well, right. This is what and- we've talked about before. You go in just thinking I have these symptoms and I need to get rid of them. And this is the patch that they give you, quote unquote patch, but the pill or whatever type of birth control. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it can make things much worse. So you can go back and listen to our episode on birth control pills (laughs) and get all the information there. (laughs) And then we have metformin, which is a diabetic medication. medication. It's a diabetic medication, right? It's used for diabetes. And metformin increases insulin sensitivity because one of the things that you get with PCOS is decreased insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's happening is you're increasing insulin sensitivity and you're also reducing the amount of sugar that the liver releases into your system. Mm-hmm. Now, with that, because you're controlling insulin there, that could also potentially affect the testosterone, because like we said before, the rise in insulin increases testosterone hormone. So you can manage the testosterone with the metformin as well. Mm-hmm. Now, statins, obviously, to control hypercholesterolemia or high cholesterol, Mm -hmm. essentially you're at risk for metabolic syndrome, which means that you're at risk for heart disease, diabetes, obesity, right? All of these, these risk factors that you have. So, I mean, it could be dangerous if not managed. Yeah, absolutely. And then hormones for pregnancy. Yep. Because a lot of women with a lot IVF, right? A lot of women with PCOS, they have a hard time getting pregnant. So there, Mm -hmm. there needs to be a strategy with that. Although I have seen supplemental studies with supplements that show some promise there. Oh, absolutely. Not all the best options, if you ask me as a female, because I think getting to the root cause of the problem is important. But while you're searching and trying to figure out, you know, what what the best way is to go about that, these are definitely options that can help. So there's some information on... I wouldn't say information, right? So you dive into the the research and Nicole, this is something that you and I had a kind of discussion about earlier and <laughs> agree, agree to disagree, right? So something like uh, post-pill type PCOS, where it would be like, hey, I was on the pill and uh, after the pill, I had PCOS. And that's a, I guess would be called like an environmental factor that mm-hmm. you had PCOS, right? There, you know, you do a, a search for keywords on this you don't find anything. Is it possible that there's something there? Yeah, absolutely. 
again, this is one of the topics where we need a lot more research. We need a lot more advancement and progress in the science because yeah. it's really unclear, right? So what what are some of the causes of different types of PCOS and the, their insulin resistant type PCOS, inflammatory type PCOS, post pill type PCOS, adrenal type PCOS, hidden cause type PCOS, and lean type PCOS. Mm-hmm. which leaner individuals with PCOS, they're, they're not obese. They're not overweight. No, but they tend to be stress sensitive. They, yes. And the issue with this is with the different types of PCOS is there's not really much information out there, right? What we do have is this, and Nicole, this is something that you and I talked about is sometimes the practitioners lead the research, right? So mm-hmm. if there's enough anecdotal evidence and there's enough people saying, you know, there, there are plenty of people with presenting with these symptoms and this is what we think it is. The research at some point is going to have to catch up. We're just not there yet. So there's yeah. not much information on the different types of PCOS. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care nutritionally what anybody says. Go on a vegan diet, go on a high fat diet and a low carb diet, go on a keto diet. Right. I've seen a lot of that stuff out there yeah. with just PCOS. <laughs> right. And the lifestyle factors are going to be no different than anything else. Yeah. But the way I want to present them is really more so what the research shows on specific lifestyle factors and how they affect your body when you have PCOS and yeah, what the under these circumstances on that. Yeah. So yeah. there is some research on nutritional recommendations. There's some research on supplemental recommendations and there's mm-hmm. some research on exercise. So let's dive a little bit right. into the, did you want to say anything else about? No, I, I totally agree with you and we definitely need to learn more. So let's dive into the nutrition stuff though, because this is, I love this stuff. First and foremost, we're talking insulin resistance, right? And we're talking decrease in insulin sensitivity, which essentially you're borderline diabetic or diabetic, right? So what would be the recommendation there is glycemic index, low glycemic index foods, whole grains, vegetables, fruits, things that aren't going to have a high impact on your blood sugar, which is also going to desensitize your insulin receptors, right? So Essentially what happens when you're, let's say, type 2 diabetic is part of what happens is your insulin receptors downregulate and then they can no longer accept insulin. So you've got this insulin just floating around your your body, blood sugar floating around and it can't get into the cell. So essentially what we want to do is we want to assist sugar to get into the cell by upregulating that insulin receptor. So consuming a diet low in sugar, consuming low glycemic index foods, That's proposed in the research to assist with the insulin sensitivity and also improve menstrual regularity for women who suffer with PCOS. Now, also being in a calorie deficit is going to help to upregulate those insulin receptors as well. But what I will say about a calorie deficit, and this just goes for women as a blanket statement or individuals as a blanket statement altogether, it's a stress on the body to be in a calorie deficit especially if you're in a severe calorie deficit. So ideally you want to be in a small calorie deficit if you're trying to lose weight because you don't want to stress the body. I would say more of a balanced approach to your food intake and a healthy approach to your food intake in a, in a small calorie deficit, it's going to be kind of my three tier approach to nutrition. I mean, if you're a woman that's in a severe caloric deficit for a long period, a severe caloric deficit for a long period of time, then that's not going to be very helpful on your system. So I agree with you. It should be light to moderate or low to moderate. And that severe caloric restriction is, it's only going to exacerbate your symptoms. Yeah. 
So, I, you know, we talk about balanced nutrition to improve menstrual regularity, to make sure that your cycle is normal. So this would be a circumstance where that would apply. Do we want to talk about carbs? Carbs, like the good carbs or the bad carbs? Just carbs in general. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, sure. What do you want to talk about? What's so I've seen I've seen some stuff about doing like high fat and super low carb. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it because you also have to keep in mind that cutting out carbs altogether is going to have a negative impact. It's not recommended, mm-hmm. partly because it's not also sustainable. Well, that's my thing. See, this is where I stand. I don't anything that you can't do for a long period of time. It really doesn't matter. I, I don't really believe you need to cut out all carbs. I do think you need to be smarter about the choices that you make in terms of carbohydrates, but I wouldn't say cut them out. But I also will say that it's so individual to the female. Like some of these nutrition statements seem so blanketed. They're very vague. And this is why it's so important to see a coach or a physician or a combination of both when you are diagnosed so that you know what your balance would be to carbs to fats based on you as the individual, and then what your calorie restriction would be for you based as the individual. And then the types of carbohydrates, like some women thrive with certain types of vegetables and some don't. So you really have to make sure that you understand your body. That's what I would add to that. So overall, moral of the story, choose a diet high in (laughs) fiber and vegetables and low glycemic fruits and vegetables and some whole grains. So what would be an example of a low glycemic fruit or vegetable, Duran? Low glycemic vegetables, broccoli, spinach, asparagus, kale, string beans, bell peppers, Mm -hmm. fruit, apples, pears, peaches, plums. I mean, listen, anything is going to be berries or super low glycemic. Yeah, I was going to say berries. Strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, right? Those things are going to be super low, low glycemic. The biggest thing is that if you have a high sugar consumption and... If you're eating a ton of calories from highly refined, highly processed foods, that's going to be a stress on the body as well. So you want to avoid eating those types of things, right? So, like, if, And what would those types of things be? Cookies? Cookies, cakes, chips. snacks, chips, yeah. you yeah. know, all, all those things. French fries. Mm-hmm. Fried foods. Yes. Fried foods, right? So all of those things are going to be, they're going to be factors. They're going to be high calorie. They're going to be high glycemic carbohydrates. I will say that consuming protein does have a effect on insulin, but mm-hmm. it's one of those like you have to choose your your battles at battles. that point to consuming protein also slows digestion and helps to kind of slowly release sugar into the bloodstream. So uh, it delays gastric emptying. So that's going to be to your benefit. You don't want to completely eliminate protein. You're going to want to have mm-hmm. some protein, right? Yeah. You're going to you're going to want to increase your metabolic rate. You're going to want to build some muscle. You're going to mm-hmm. have some muscle so that you can burn more calories throughout the day. Yeah. Again, all based on the individual, how much protein you intake. So I think it's just overall important to make sure that you are finding some support and help as you navigate through it. And I would say that consuming, you know, small frequent meals with protein at every meal, a serving of protein at every meal mm-hmm. is ideal. What that generally looks like, if I had to just ballpark a general rule of thumb is one gram per pound of body weight of protein and making sure that you're managing and stabilizing your blood sugar through those low GI foods, fruits and vegetables, and consuming a protein at every meal. Mm-hmm. So exercise. My favorite. One of my favorite things. Is exercise. exercise. Well, yes, is walking. I, let's talk about walking because I'm just such a huge. Walking is first and foremost. I mean, I'm a huge fan. just movement throughout the day. Yeah. Right. So we're not even talking just exercise. We're just talking movement. Yeah. And moving frequently throughout the day because that's going to help to increase insulin sensitivity. Yeah. And 
like we always talk about with your neat versus your eat, right? Exercise yep. activity thermogenesis. <laughs> exercise activity thermogenesis accounts for 10% of your total caloric, total daily energy expenditure. And your NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, accounts for 20% of your total daily energy expenditure, which makes sense because you're moving more throughout the day. There's more hours in the day than you are exercising. You're exercising for one hour. Yeah, you're burning more calories in that one hour because you're more active. Yeah. But you want to burn more calories throughout the day, right? So all those same principles apply that we talk about on a regular basis with anybody else. Mm -hmm. But especially walking to increase insulin sensitivity, that's going to be important. Yeah. And it's a de-stressor too, which I find to be. Yeah. Stress is important, right? So, you know, if we're talking about lifestyle factors, we just get into it. Sleep and stress are super important as well. Yeah. Right. So making sure you're getting adequate sleep because that's going to affect you hormonally as well. That's going to help you with your, but that's going to affect your symptoms Mm -hmm. and stress management. If you're stressed out, go meditate, go download the calm app or download (laughs) um, headspace. Right. Yeah. Just or find things that, you know, we talk about primary foods, right? Mm -hmm. And in primary foods, we say find things that fulfill you, find things that are part of your self-care routine that are going to de-stress because stress hormones, cortisol is going to wreak havoc on your body, especially in the situation with PCOS. Yeah. Now, resistance training, right? I was going to say, don't forget about lifting. Resistance training is also shown to increase insulin sensitivity, right? It gives your body a demand for glucose. So it upregulates those insulin receptors to say, give me more, give me more. The name of the game is insulin and insulin sensitivity and decreased stress. Essentially, that's what you want to do from a from a lifestyle standpoint. Mm -hmm. Now, the one thing I will say is if you're really trying to burn, burn, burn and burn more calories and you're doing high intensity interval training and you're doing CrossFit and you're just moving a bunch, you're like, I got to get this weight off. Think about the stress that that is putting on your body. It's probably not now everybody's individual, but it's probably not going to be beneficial if you're overweight with PCOS and you're doing high intensity work that's stressing out your system. Yeah. I mean, well, we talk about this all the time. Anything that you're doing, like I'll say this across the board for everything, everything from even walking to resistance training to high intensity interval training, whatever it might be, if you finish the workout that you're doing and you feel like you've been hit by a truck or like it's too much overworked, like you're wiped out, then you know, uh, to me, that is a sign that that was too much. Whereas, you know, when I finish a a lifting session and I feel amazing and I'm pumped and ready to take on the world, you can feel the difference between the two. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when it's, it's something that felt good and made you feel like you wanted to do, you know, more throughout the rest of your day. Or if you've done too much and you literally want to go home and take a nap. <laughs> that's how, you know, there was a period like, of time when I, when I did CrossFit and uh-huh. that's how I felt after every workout, like I got hit by a truck. Yeah. I tell my ladies all the time in any circumstance, even from a, a menopausal standpoint, my, if you're feeling like you've been run down by the workout, that's a surefire saying a surefire sign that you have kind of pushed too hard or that was too much on your system. There is such a thing. <laughs> so. do, do we want to address sleep? Let's talk a little bit about sleep a little bit more. What do you want to chat on when it comes so, to sleep other than quality? Women with PCOS, they have a higher likelihood of experiencing sleep disturbances and insomnia yeah. anyway, right? Yeah. So if you're a couple of things, the habits that we always talk about, right? Decrease exposure to blue light. Don't mm-hmm. look at your phone. Don't look at the computer. Don't yeah. look at your, don't watch TV. Don't 
ideally you don't have a TV in the bedroom or turn it off, you know, within like the last hour before you go to bed, mm-hmm. maybe drink a hot cup of decaf tea, tea right? Yeah. Hot bath. Um, but, but there are options for supplementation if you're really having trouble sleeping. Yeah. Valerian root is a really good one mm-hmm. that, you know, helps to knock you out. Uh, melatonin you can do, like I always say, I only really recommend melatonin for shorter periods of time because you have to keep in mind that melatonin is a hormone that your body produces. You want your body to produce it. How does your body produce it in response to light or lack thereof, right? You turn Mm -hmm. off the lights, your body produces melatonin and that helps to calm you down and it helps you to fall asleep. Yeah. Have you ever experienced sleep, like any type of insomnia? It's really brutal. So, I mean, I experienced insomnia after college for a long time because Mm -hmm. I, I was working full time and I stayed up late every night studying and some nights I didn't even sleep. Right. It was completely Mm -hmm. unhealthy. Yeah. But I experienced issues for a couple of years where my circadian rhythm was just completely thrown off and it took me a while to get at the time. I didn't really know about the supplements that can kind of aid in that Mm -hmm. to kind of help you to reset or restore your circadian rhythm Yeah. um, to help you to fall asleep at a, a regular time at a normal time. Under times that I'm under high stress, even to date, I still experience that. Yeah. So, you know, and there are times where I've gone on and off of these supplements. But what I will say is that, you know, something like melatonin I've supplemented with, but I don't do it for longer than a period of three months because I want my body to have the capacity to do it, to Naturally. create it on its own. Yeah. So, you know, something like melatonin, valerian root, 5-HTP. You and I have talked about 5-hydroxytryptophan and the mm-hmm. calming effect of that, which will also help with your mood and depression, which is also something that if you have PCOS, you might be struggling with. So mm-hmm. 5-hydroxytryptophan, that might help with that as well. Smoking, if you're a smoker. I don't really know many smokers Who nowadays. Smokes? Let's talk about that. I don't know that. many smokers nowadays. <laughs> Who still smokes? <laughs> they don't, nobody smokes. Everybody vapes now. so listeners do not smoke or vape if if you're a smoker (laughs) smoker smoking puts you at higher risk for metabolic syndrome which you're already at risk for right we're talking about decreasing risk factors yeah and you also shouldn't be smoking if you're on birth control pills so well you just probably just shouldn't be smoking it's it's something that you definitely want to avoid yeah now let's talk about supplements Mm -hmm. for pcos right we talked about sleep supplements yeah the number one supplement I'd say for PCOS is inositol, which is something that is found in whole grains and citrus fruits. It's found in studies to improve hormonal disturbances in women with PCOS. Inositol can reduce some of the high androgen hormones that cause a lot of the symptoms in women with PCOS. So the evidence suggests that inositol may improve pregnancy outcomes in women with PCOS. So that could be another alternative potentially mm-hmm. to the in vitro fertilization and the hormones associated with that because Nicole, as you and I have talked about, and we've had clients that have gone through, we shared a client that has gone through this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's rough on your body. Yeah. To go through that, to get pregnant. Omega-3 supplementation is shown to improve insulin resistance or improve insulin sensitivity. So Mm -hmm. that might be something that you want to look at as well. And also helps to improve cholesterol and triglyceride levels, right? Particularly helps to increase your HDL levels, uh, which helps to pick up some of that oxidized LDL cholesterol and uh, reduce your risk for heart disease, which, you know, is associated with that whole metabolic syndrome kind of piece there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, vitamin D research is kind of mixed. PCOS is linked with vitamin D deficiency. Now, here's my thing with vitamin D deficiency, because COVID is linked with vitamin D deficiency as well. And I just think you can you can really more or less link anything to I was going to say, it seems to be a common thread. <laughs> I mean, I can I can go to the bathroom and take a shit and link that to vitamin, vitamin D, D deficiency. deficiency. <laughs> oh, and he took a shit because he was vitamin D deficient. Right. And the reason why I say that is because vitamin D deficiency is so prominent. Yeah. That you can't really say like, you know, I'm going to bring up the COVID thing because I've been thinking about this a lot lately and I really want to dive into more of the research on that, that that is emerging now in 2020 with vitamin D and COVID. Now, we know that vitamin D is great for your immune system. We know that vitamin D is great. I'm kind of sidetracking here, but whatever. We know that vitamin D is great for your immune system. We know that vitamin D is great for uh, respiratory function, right? Hormonal um, balance, hormonal balance, right? But, you know, to kind of link it by saying, you know, with the COVID thing, like people, these people died and they were vitamin D deficient. I have to dive into the research because to By me, how much, you well, know, to, like, well, to me, it's like, was it, be, was it because they were vitamin D deficient or does being vitamin D deficient also hint to other lifestyle factors that someone who's vitamin D deficient doesn't take vitamins, doesn't take minerals, doesn't eat right, doesn't get out in the sun, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. they were obese. Maybe they had type two diabetes. Maybe they had hypertension. Maybe they had, they had all the metabolic syndrome, maybe they had all these risk factors for COVID. So the same thing I'm kind of looking at with the PCOS thing is, I don't know, the the research is mixed. It, it doesn't really show that, you know, vitamin D on its own. There was one cool study in 2017. It was a randomized control trial where they did uh, vitamin D co-supplementation with probiotics. And it was shown to improve depression, anxiety, and stress scale scores in women with PCOS. And it was also associated with a decrease in testosterone, which, you know, decreased hair growth, uh, and also C-reactive protein. Now, I think the C-reactive protein is a result of the probiotic, not necessarily the vitamin D. C-reactive protein is an inflammatory marker that you would test for to look at inflammation. And Mm -hmm. they kind of compared that to the vitamin D and the probiotic with a placebo it was a randomized control trial. And it was a good quality study. Um, I would say more so from the probiotic from the gut standpoint. And what well, it, that's a big piece to that. The gut, the gut aspect, you know, from a probiotic to the vitamin D or a vitamin D to the probiotic. I think the probiotic, I think it's the probiotic, right? So I do too. Uh, and, and what I'll say too, is we talked about fiber. We talked about fruits and vegetables. We talked about whole grains, right? All those things contain mm-hmm. fiber, which helps to, it helps with cholesterol first and foremost, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it helps, you know, high amounts of fiber is linked with low amounts of uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, things like that. Right. But the fiber is important in feeding that bacteria, right? So if you're just going to take a probiotic, yeah, that bacteria is not going to colonize unless you're feeding it with prebiotic fiber. So that's where getting adequate fruits and vegetables and getting your whole grains in, that's where that's going to be important because you want to feed the the bacteria so that it stays there and colonizes. If you starve it, it's just going to be in and out. Mm -hmm. It can become imbalanced. Yeah. So, and gut health seems to be an important factor in PCOS. So you definitely want to take care of your gut. And if you're somebody that is having some gut symptoms, you potentially have inflammation in your body, mm-hmm. right? And we talk about things that stem from the gut when we talk about things like eczema, 
rheumatoid arthritis, when mm-hmm. we talk about, uh, you know, skin issues, acne, right? Some of those things will stem from the gut and the inflammatory environment in your gut causing those things. So if you're struggling with any of those things, the gut is definitely something that you'd want to look at in terms of managing your PCOS symptoms. Yeah. It's hard. That's a, that can be really, this is where I feel like a lot of the unknown is shown through is if you go to the doctor for acne, is it, I mean, obviously you have to have that two out of three criteria, but all of those things could be stemming from the gut from a real more root cause. And then all of these, you know, cycle of events trickle down and then all of a sudden, boom, you have a hormonal disorder that's out of control. And now you're trying to figure out which one to start with to heal so that overall the body can <laughs> you got to tackle this thing from multiple you know, angles from yeah exactly from a nutrition from a fitness standpoint from an yeah. exercise standpoint from a stress and sleep standpoint Stra- yeah your lifestyle needs to change you cannot expect to go to the doctor get some medication manage the symptoms but the underlying issues that are mm-hmm. going on inside of your body you need to manage that as well yeah you can slow them down which is i think what happens when They take some of the medications or even going on birth control pills, but eventually, or not eventually, they're still present and they eventually will come back up. Well, here's the thing. You're more so at risk for metabolic syndrome, right? So if you're more at risk for metabolic syndrome, you're still, you're going to want to do those lifestyle changes that make you less at risk for those things to begin with. Right. And that's kind of my whole thing with this, you know, everything we've talked about for PCOS, all really great information. And, you know, it's really tough from a female standpoint, if you're dealing with some of these issues, it's, it can be really just that now we talk about the mental and the psychology part of it is it's really difficult to be put in these positions. I feel like you don't have control over your body and things are happening and you don't know why, um, or you're going to the doctors and you're not getting some of these like real concrete answers because it's not as studied, well-known, you know, we don't know everything. So that can be really hard. But I also will continue to go back. And that's why we're tackling this subject is lifestyle, nutrition, exercise, sleep, primary foods, all the things that we talk about from a healthy lifestyle, you know, path are all going to be the primary things that you need to focus on. So to kind of full circle to come back around, start there and really focus on those changes and see what type of um, healing you can create on your own, take control of your own body. You know, the interesting thing is, too, is that I, I don't know any physician. I haven't seen any physician that would disagree with the lifestyle factors. They'll push the lifestyle oh, factors yeah. on you with PCOS. They're like you need to change your lifestyle and that will alleviate symptoms in and of itself. Yeah. So that's definitely a strategy that you can take. I'm not saying don't go to your doctor and, and you know, maybe treat some of these symptoms up front. But on the tail end, you definitely need to be doing some work on managing some of these symptoms with the lifestyle factors because they're super important. And I've seen women do very well and be very successful with lifestyle changes. Yeah, it's the same thing with my menopausal women, you know, where they go in thinking they need all these hormone replacement therapy type medications. And you'd be really surprised by some of the changes that some of the profound changes you can make if you really pay attention to what your body needs. Yeah. And then the last thing we have on supplements is rhodiola and ashwagandha, which are Mm -hmm. adaptogens. They help your body to adapt to stress. Mm -hmm. It is something that you can do. Ashwagandha to me uh, shows a decent amount of promise in research. This that's something that I will kind of keep a close eye on and see, you know, where that research goes. Mm hmm. 
research isn't entirely 100% clear on these things, but you know, in terms of adaptogens, I think those two are the two that show the most promise, especially for symptoms of uh, PCOS. Mm-hmm. Agree. Anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think we covered everything. All right. So ladies and gentlemen, that's PCOS in a nutshell. We know very little about the causes. There's some speculation. There's some information out there. There's some good information. There's some misinformation. Really bottom line is you've got to get your lifestyle together. You've got to focus on your gut. You've got to focus on your exercise. You can't over-exercise. You can't be in too big of a caloric deficit. Big picture. You don't want to stress the body even more. It's already stressed. You want to make sure that you are controlling that insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance so that you are not having those other accompanying symptoms. And that's pretty much it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, and you'll hear us next week. 